It's time for the Basser Hour. The Basser Hour is a look at issues that affect today's veteran. The Basser Hour is brought to you by www.hadit.com. If you need help with the VA, log on to hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Jay Basser. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Basser Hour. Today is a beautiful day, August 4th, 2016. This year is flat flying by. Been a good year so far, and I hope we can keep it going that way. Co-host today is Mr. Gerald Cook, and we have got the one and only T-Bird on board, too. How you folks doing today? Howdy, howdy. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah. I'm enjoying this warm weather. I really am. Warm weather? I've been hearing my air conditioning looking out the window laughing. Oh, <laughs> now, it's hot in Missouri, right? <laughs> Oh, it's hot. Very hot. Because you guys are on <laughs> both ends of the state. I mean, you know, you got yeah. Joplin there and you got St. Louis there and everything in between is still hot. <laughs> well, all so that hot, hot air. One end to the other. <laughs> all that hot air coming out of St. Louis. But T-Bird, y'all been getting some rain, haven't you? We haven't been getting some rain. We had uh, some bad thunderstorms the other night, eh? I had uh-huh. to go in and lay down with my three-year-old grandniece because the thunder oh. was so bad. Oh. She's three years old now. Yeah. Wow. Seemed like just yeah. yesterday she was born. I know. Oh, and in the meantime, we've added another one who's one-year-old. My goodness. So. We've got a factory going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you, it, just, uh-huh. it goes to show you how much time flies, doesn't it? I mean, you know, it's just... Mm-hmm. We get so wrapped up doing this and that and the other thing, and next thing you know, you look up, years have gone by. That's right. And, uh, but I wanted to touch today, folks, on a subject that's really dear to my heart. Uh, I want to thank all the Haddad vets and all veterans for their service. Uh, you know, like most of you guys, you know, you've got them from all different areas. You know, we've got a couple of World War II vets, got a whole lot of Vietnam vets, got uh, some several Gulf War vets, a whole bunch of peacetime vets. We know they're all a, a good mix, plethora on had it. And thank each and every one of you for your service. And, you know, your service is greatly appreciated. Um, the wartime vets, you know, I mean, that's uh, you're only a wartime vet if, you know, the time you were in service, you know, this was, you know, was constituted to a war. The Vietnam vet, you know, I thank you for your service. You guys had a rough time. You came home, nobody showed you any respect. Well, I want to say welcome home to you because you all deserve every every accolade you get and every benefit you deserve. Oh, that's um, <clears throat> I'm just trying to, you know, I've been looking at some of the structures going on in the U.S., you know. It's it's not too much fun right now, you know. We've got a whole lot of division, you know, in, in D.C. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, you know. They're pulling left and right. Uh, you had... Senate, Congress doing a sequester on the military and automatic budget cuts and just crazy stuff. And then, uh, you know, I hear stories of uh, the Marine Corps. Uh, you know, they fly that F-18 Hornet. They're having to go to the boneyard in New Mexico and Arizona to steal parts off of old planes to fly the planes. Well, that's not too cold, especially, you know, we had a Blue Angel crash here last month. You know, he's in Tennessee, and he died. 
<clears throat> I enjoy going to watch the Blue Angels fly. Them guys are tough. And they've had another F-18 crashed. But uh, the good news is that next next year they're all getting brand-new Super Hornets. And they deserve it. But we have to realize that our military is the most important thing to this country. Regardless of stature and size, you have to have enough force to take care of your country. That constitutes having a large enough force in order to ward off enemies of all different kinds. Granted, the enemies today are not like the enemies that we had when I was in service. Our main goal in the 80s or the 60s and 70s also, besides Vietnam, were the Russians. You know, I mean, the Cold War was not a declared war. But at the end of World War II, Dwight Eisenhower, he decided that he would let uh, Russia go into Germany and take their part of Germany. That day he made that decision was the start of the Cold War. And it lasted all the way up to Ronald Reagan's presidency. And during that time, you know, we had very, 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 very scared people because you remember duck and cover and the nuclear drills? Remember T-Bird? I most certainly do. Remember them drills? Yeah, I, I, do. Duck I do, too. You know, we, we we'd go them. to school. We'd go to school, get under your desk, duck and cover. You know, nuke drills, nuke drills, yeah. nuke drills. Sure did. You know, and that, and in the 1960s, all right to get under that desk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> we sure would kiss you, but goodbye. <clears throat> <clears throat> right. You Why know, not? the scariest thing about that was not having to get under our desk. It's later yeah. when we heard adults talking that it didn't matter how many desks you got under. <laughs> yeah. and they they better be filled with lead or something, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. When I got in the service, I thought back to to them days, and I said, oh, boy, what were these people thinking? <laughs> well, I want to tell you something. Drilled off out back those days, too, and the first time you see one up close, you start to think pretty hard. Oh, the power. You know, Oh, it's just, it's awesome. I mean, you know, I mean, the little bomb we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you know, they were, they were peanuts compared to what we have now. And when they started mixing hydrogen in there, oh my goodness, look out. Yeah. That's like turning a Toyota into a Lamborghini. That's how much difference there is. It's just like night and day. It's uh, a thousand more times powerful than the bomb we dropped on Hiroshima. So just... You know, just hope and pray whenever you have to use them. Because oh, we do it game over for everybody. There's no no way we can survive that. So, you know, that's why I it think is. I was reading, John, <clears throat> where they got them now that can destroy a 120-mile radius. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a, that's a large area. Well, we set out the Bravo blast in the 50s, I think was the date, and uh, that was the first hydrogen bomb. And that thing destroyed an island, and it put a crater like half mile on the ground. So yeah, that's pretty bad stuff. And it threw uh, sediment and ocean and rock from the bottom of the sea up forty so forty six thousand feet in the air. Yeah, that's pretty bad stuff. 
But, you know, that's our deterrent. And uh, there's been some issues about that going on lately, too. I think our nuclear arsenal is kind of getting a little bit uh, depleted as far as, like, needing need maintenance and things like that. And, again, you know, there's budget money, and, and it takes money to keep this stuff going. Okay, well, contrary to popular belief, <clears throat> 18 years ago, I think the average factory worker made about 20 bucks an hour, depending on where you live and what factory it is. Well, today, the average factory worker is making about 21, 22 bucks an hour, give or take, you know, a couple of dollars. So the money hasn't changed much. You know, it's uh, the pay scale is is pretty you know it's pretty much stagnant as far as that. Now, 20 years ago, you could buy a new Ford truck, <clears throat> a souped-up Ford truck for twenty-eight thousand dollars. Now, the same truck is fifty-five thousand off a sale from a seventy-thousand-dollar sticker price. So inflation is there, but it's not counted. So. Now, the money that they're spending on the military, where is it going to? That's the question we do want to ask, because if we're sending people down to the boneyard to rob parts for airplanes or uh, sending people to get wrecked parts to keep their tanks going, uh, <clears throat> not giving the troops the armor they need, uh, you know, like uh, Kevlar and things like that in battle, uh, something's fishy, something's wrong. Something might be and, wrong. Yeah. So, I was, you know, and, you know, you look at the size of our military, okay? The size of our military. 1954, we had 3,302,104 people on active duty. <clears throat> That's a lot of people. We had a lot more in the 40s because of World War II. And once the structures got involved, it dropped down to 2,500,000 2, in 1959. Then things heated up a little bit. It started getting a little bit tense in the Far East, and we went back up to 2,800,062. Next thing you know, here comes Vietnam. 1969, we had almost 3.5 million people in service. <clears throat> That's a lot of people. But we had to have a strong military to take care of business. Well, starting in 1969 and 70, it nosedived. All the way down to 2 million. In 1980, Ronald Reagan came into power. Now we're getting mine and T-Bird's time. <laughs> That's right. And Reagan took it back up to about 2,100,000. <clears> and since then, you know, we had a strong military. We had enough ships to do the job. And I don't think – now, T-Bird worked in the – in, she, she's in Airedale, and she worked in logistics, I think. Was that was that what it was, uh, computer, computer stuff there for the – Navy. I was in the Navy so long ago they didn't even it wasn't even computerized when I was in the Navy. I worked yeah, the in uh, I worked in uh data and statistical analysis for <clears throat> uh 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 a Russian aggressor squadron, actually. <laughs> and uh Los Vidania. <laughs> Los is right. We had a big Russian flag hanging in the CEO's office, and cool. but uh, it was pretty cool. I still have my patch. It's all in Cyrillic. Um, they took your data and gave it to the subgroup. <laughs> so, and we, 
as a as a point of reference, we would always have an aircraft in the hangar. Uh, we would call it the hangar queen, and we would cannibalize the hell out of that aircraft up until I think it was like 180 days. You couldn't, they couldn't. You had to fly it, not let it sit more than 180 days. So we would put one in the hangar, then we'd cannibalize the hell out of it until it got close to the time when we had to fly it again. Then we'd put it back together, and then we'd put another plane in the hangar, and then we'd cannibalize the hell out of that. And that's that's what we did. So what was the purpose of the chop shop, T-Bird? <laughs> Look, <laughs> I, <laughs> let me just say this. I am sure that our squad was not a priority, okay? Right. But there's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the Navy, you know, we just get things done. Uh, it's you know, I heard once about the Air Force, somebody asked them, uh, why uh, does the Air Force not paint their planes really with all these designs like the Navy does? And they said, well, in the Air Force, they say, well, they didn't tell us they could. And in the Navy, they say, they didn't tell us they couldn't. <laughs> that sounds... Uh... SOP there, girls. <laughs> yeah, that's SOP, all right. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to digress. No, you're fine. You keep into it. Go ahead. I mean, it's uh, people need to know, you know, what what it was back then, what it is now, because it's totally different. And uh, right. So, yeah. And, so uh, and think, you know, John and I both served during the same period of time, so we saw a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did. Yeah. I remember back on them when them sub tenders and the uh, destroyer tenders in the navy. You know, you come on, they start putting female on, females on board the ships, and uh, the first female officer was an engineering officer aboard the USS Dixon. She was pretty sharp, and it was like when they first come on, the guys like they were like stunned, you know, but it worked out, and uh, it worked out for the best because you know they worked side and side, and. Uh, Today's rules are, different, are totally different than what it used to be. Uh, I would never, you know, as far, you know, being a, a male myself, there's no reason to send a female into combat. You know, there's no reason at all because, I mean, they're the backbone of society. And uh, they should well, be protected like that. Well, you know, I, I could argue that both ways. I could say, as a woman... I don't think I have any more right than the mm-hmm. guy next to me to stay back. And I have just as much as responsibility to fight for my country as the guy next to me. <laughs> but should somebody's other mother's son go because just because I'm a woman and it's my turn? I don't think so. <laughs> but that's just my opinion, and thank God I'm not in charge of anything. <laughs> Well, that's true. I mean, but you know, there's different ways to look at it too, and I understand your opinion, and I respect your opinion on that issue. I mean, it's something that right, and know. I respect you. Yeah, 
I'm not yeah, saying so. I'm right. I'm saying that's the way I. Well, do. that's your opinion, no? I mean, that's what you think. You know, and I'm proud of you thinking that way. You know, but it also depends. You know, like some some of us are old fashioned. You know, when we still open car doors for our wives and things like that. You know, when you know be. Uh, you know, we're always polite and things, and it's just uh, that's kind of a, you know, it's all depends on how we're raised as far as that. But you know, nowadays things are totally different. Uh, the equality is a lot different as far as you know treatment of both individuals, male and female, basis in the military. Um, they're even putting females on submarines, and that I thought would never yeah. happen because that I'm gonna taste them. That's gonna be in catch. <laughs> you put. Those together on a 300-foot tube and stick them under the water for 75 days. There's going to be problems. Well, uh, they already, they already have been. Each other, it's nuts to butt. So yeah, well, that movie Operation Petticoat comes to mind when when Cary Grant's passing Watcher Face in the hallway. <laughs> right. That's right. But you know, it's it, but it is what it is. And, uh, you know, they've already made the rules, and we have to accept it and go on and try to make the best out of it. So, you know, I mean, it's uh, welcome everybody in. Let's get together, get to work, get our job done, and get out and go do something else. That's right, and, because uh, that's the job. They, You know, if they say this is the way it is, then you just do it. That's right. That's right. Now, but since the 1970s, after Reagan left the White House, then you had the Bush and Clinton and Clinton and Bush and other folks be named. Military numbers have been steadily dropping every year. Um, we had close to 600 ships back in the 80s. That was Reagan's goal. He wanted a 600-ship Navy. I don't know exactly how many he got to at the time, but we had a lot. Well, <clears throat> since Russia collapsed, they decided, well, we have too many ships. They put most of them, the majority of them, up in, up in mothball fleet. And then the Congress decided, well, we're not going to need them anymore, so let's go ahead and scrap them out or do what. So they took a lot of ships that I know, subs, and they cut the subs up, took the reactors out, buried the reactors in Washington State. Now they're chopping the ships up, you know, in shipyards across the world. And a lot of ships were even sunk as target practice. They call that Operation Sink X. Uh, well, my ship was sunk off the coast of North Carolina, <clears throat> and uh, so you know that's something you know you'll never know it's still there, but it's in ten thousand feet of water. And wouldn't that thing uh, still be radioactive where they had that reactor? No, the reactor's cut out. Oh, it's buried in Washington State. There's a lot of them up there. They could actually use those reactors and run California to, to the rest of eternity. If they wanted to. <laughs> but, now, uh, the uh, Navy currently has about 400 and a little over 400 ships. I think 430 ships. Well, they're counting tugboats and everything, T-Bird. Well, that's, that's all the ships in active service are reserved. Yeah, so. But you start breaking it down into how many destroyers and Aircraft carriers and all that. Uh, I want to understand if you have, if we have a situation where we had to go into some kind of conflict, we've got roughly 278 ships, ships that are available. 
Because you remember the oilers, like the you know the big oilers would come by and they they'd stop by and they'd oil the pier up there off of the off off the coast there in L.A. and Long Beach. Those ships are navy oilers. Every navy oiler has been transferred over to the to a, a different fleet. It's like merchant marine now. And uh, I tell you another good story. There's two subtenders left. We had like 16 one time. There's two. One's the land, and one's the Frank Cable. They're both in Guam now. These submarine tenders, <clears throat> ten subs, you know, out in the west, out, out in the Pacific, uh-huh. and it's called Pacific so vast. You can go to Guam and you can get permission to go aboard the Frank Cable. Guess what half the crew is, T Bird? What? Half the crew is civilian. No civilian. Civilian. Yeah. Oh, <sighs> <laughs> there have civilian crews now. If something was to happen, hit the fan. What's going to happen to civilians? They going to get drafted? Or they got, or what's going to happen there? You know, because <clears throat> if something was to happen, those ships are directed to go to a hiding port somewhere where they can serve as submarines, and not be seen, detected. That's their main right. job, and. Those ships also have some very, very powerful weapons on board them. Well, they should have civilians running them, operating them, or Mm -hmm. even working on them. It should all be military personnel. Right. Well, you're only talking about 1,200 people. Yeah, so it's only about 1,200 people. So, but again. You know, that's the state right now that we're in. Uh, budget cuts, sequester, uh, can't get parts to repair stuff. <clears throat> I remember the old days you put a chit in and see bird to order something. Remember those chits you had to fill out to order stuff? <laughs> yeah, I had to fill out a chit for everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to do it a lot, too. And, you know, you'd get your stuff in a couple weeks. I had to fill weeks, out a chit now, to get married. <laughs> now, that was a special question. Chain of command. Special request chip. IT Bird. IT Bird, do special request permission to get married. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I remember those chits. You know, we want to get a day off, whatever. That's fine. But uh, our situation is a little bit different. You know, we work, sometimes we work around the clock. And they kept us pretty good shape. So if a job had to be done on a boat, we'd do the job. If it took us five or six days to do it, we do the job. And sometimes the you know, the division officer look at us and say, Okay boys, it's Tuesday, we'll see you Monday, you know. Thanks. Well, things like that. But, you know, that was good times. You know, good times. And mm-hmm. but today I guess you know, it's it's the same today. Um now if you're a captain in the navy and you're a captain of a ship, you make a wrong turn, uh, you fart that you fart in the quarter, you know, you fart in the wardroom, you're allowed to get replaced. It seems to me like a lot of high-ranking officers are getting canned for no reason. Well, I know, I know that in recent news, uh, I have seen several uh, officers get canned, but I don't, uh, I can't speak to it because I haven't, I don't really remember what the reasons were at this right now. What kinds of reasons are they using, John? Uh, 
mostly they're making this stuff up like, you know how the military used to make up a personnel disorder for a PTSD claim? Mm-hmm. Remember that thing they got booked? Well, it's basically the same type of thinking. Uh, they're doing uh, loss of confidence and things like oh. that. Right. So they're reaching in a certain body part and pulling out an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, they have uh, they have relieved uh, a lot of generals, uh, your higher uh, officers, colonels, lieutenant colonels, majors, even captains, and then then even your NCOs, your sergeant majors and. Uh, well, if you speak out against the system, you're going to get canned, okay, Gerald? Yeah. You know, yeah, you that's the problem. Day. That's the problem. There's too much politics involved in our military, too much micromanaging. Mm-hmm. We fought against that in the 80s because we were taught that the Russian military, if you took out their commander, it, they were very, very defeatable because they didn't know what to do. Nowadays, it's basically the same on our part. You know, we're there's so micromanaged, you know, it's just like, it's crazy. You know, rules of engagement. If you've got rules of engagement that tie your hands where you can't do something, then what are you going to do? You know, you're just going to get shot. Because our rules of engagement suck right now. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's got a lot of people killed. It has got a lot of, it costs us a lot of people. Now, yeah. I've... Some politicians think rules engage in some some type of marital prenup agreement or something. I don't know. Because that's, you know, if you go to a place and you've got an enemy and you've got a beating on an enemy and you have to drop him a note, tell him we're coming, uh, <laughs> what's that going to do? We're coming for you. You know, and... <clears throat> That you know, you lose your element of surprise. You're done, especially in some of these uh, lands over there in the in the desert where it's uh, you know you're you're fish out of water anyways. So it's not a good thing, but you know it's got to get better because it can't get no worse than what it is now. <clears throat> but our enemies change. You know we've got ISIS and. Uh, they're, I don't know if they're still the JV team or not, but they're, uh, you know, they're they're a big presence in the world. Um, they've hit here several times now, sneaking in, and uh, their followers will come in and blow stuff up. You know, I mean, it's just a matter of time before they put off a dirty bomb or something and kill a whole bunch of people. Just a matter of time. You know, especially if you live in a big city like St. Louis, T-Bird, I'd be looking over my shoulder. <laughs> Dude, you're not doing my PTSD any good here. <laughs> well, I'd have to move you to Kentucky. We'll help out PTSD. <clears throat> uh, or you can move I back. agree that with uh, the, <coughs> the terrorists that we're fighting, whether it be Al-Qaeda or... ISIL or ISIS or whatever you want to call them, uh, nothing is off the table for their use. Uh, They'll use whatever it takes. And for as small or as little as they can do, 
they want us dead and they want our stuff. The hate oh, is They plan uh, to go and get her. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, we're not, we're not going to, you know, it's not like an actual war where you're negotiating over territory or there's no, if somebody wants you dead and they want your stuff, there's nothing to negotiate. Well, we're the uh, evil ones because we protect Israel, and it's a it's a bad, bad, bad feeling they get because I don't know, but it's not just ISIS. There's a lot of folks over that hate us. They hate everything we stand for, you know, and. For well over 200 years now, we've been free to go from state to state and do what you want. You know, it's, that's, that, that, that's our lifestyle. And over there, you know, you have to get papers to go from state to state or get permission to do this and that. And it's just, uh, they've got different types of law, too, you know. It's kind of bad. <clears throat> of course, that's, you know, that, that's what they're up against is the culture. And uh, But their culture needs to stay over there. And not bring it over here, because we have our own culture, and I'm sure everybody <clears throat> that's listening enjoys our culture, because we have the right to do these shows and have the right to have websites like HadIt.com to help veterans get over the hump when the VA's uh, brown bagging them. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and, uh, I mean there are people that annoy the hell out of me, but I will defend their rights. Say it. That's true. I mean, it's like, I mean, 19 years is a long time, T. Burke. Fix it. You're going on 20 now, right? January 20th. It'll be 20 years. We're going to have a shindig or what? I'm not sure what to do. I got a countdown clock on the website counting it down. Hmm. I, I feel like I ought to do something special, but dang if I know what it is. Can't give well, you a can, fireworks show. <laughs> we can have a radio show. We can have a twenty-year radio show. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, I'd like to have a video podcast and put some fireworks off the end. Well, we could back have, and forth. Have pizza for you know if everyone well, ordered their own pizza, we could have a pizza there. We could do a Google Hangout, which has uh, the option for audio and video, and everybody could just gather and ask questions. Is that pretty expensive, or, or is that something we can do for like maybe one time? It's free. If it's oh. free, let's do it. Free. Well, John, you and I get together, and we'll do some test runs to make sure we we'll have do set test up runs on it. Yeah. Questions. Okay. We'll have a shindig. We'll have a had a party from you know where. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it we're will. 168 days away from our 20th anniversary. 168. 20 years is a long time, folks. But it's yeah. just like that, too. It's, I mean, it's zipped by. And there's been several yeah. members that stay right with T-Bird all this time. <laughs> and... You realize that, I've been you know, very you... blessed. We've all been very blessed with the community that's come together. 
That's right. That's right. But it's a good deal. But you know, well, no more than she saves them. I don't know why they hang around. <clears throat> Why do they hang around, Gerald? Um, the brotherhood or sisterhood. Mm-hmm. They hang around with the camaraderie. 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 Mm-hmm. And when they stumbled onto the site, they found people who were there to help them. And a lot of them want to be one of those people for the next person coming down the road. That's true. So if you can, then do. And if you can't, God bless you and go on with your life. Because some people, by the time they get to their service-connected claim being granted, they are just beat. (laughs) They may want to stay out and help other people, but they just can't do one more thing with VA claims. And I say, God bless them and enjoy some life. Do you guys realize, as of right now, the current split military, male and female, is almost 50 50? Is that right? Yeah, almost 50 50. There's 2,161,000 males and Two million fifty-five thousand females. It's almost fifty-fifty. Probably like maybe fifty-two forty-eight. <clears throat> now, you have to realize too that this is taking into account that uh, these people, a lot of these folks, have since got out. Now, the active personnel right now is one million three hundred thousand, and there's eight hundred and eleven thousand reservists. So they've cut so hard into our military that, uh, you know, it's pretty sad because you look at the 1,300,000, you know, the majority of those jobs, it takes 10 person, 10 support people to help, to support one combat veteran. Do you know that? Yes. You know what, yes. T-Bird? Yes. So there's only 130-some thousand combat vets. Everybody else is running to help them. That's the way I look at it. And then the VA list playing numbers game, everything's a percentage. They must be doing VA math of the military, you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised it's right up their alley. <laughs> well, you know, didn't they use the, the National Guards to take up the slack? And uh, I well, think the National Guards are way down, aren't they? On their numbers. Well, well they're down. I, <clears throat> from, I have numbers from 2010 that show that the National Guard was at 342,000, just the Army National Guard, 342,000 mm-hmm. in 2010. And... Uh, Now the the total, and like I said, these are the numbers I found were from 2010. At that time, there was 
uh, million active military and 818,000 reserves. That's true. You know, but if you notice the last war that we were in, in the Gulf War, Gulf War One, Gulf War Two, whatever, um, and you notice that they sent in the active duty military to begin with. And they started activating all these reserve units and National Guard units. And they started sending you know, send these units in for one-year one tours. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Some of these poor kids have done four or five tours, and they're National Guardsmen. Yeah. Um, yeah. A good I friend was, of mine. Uh, really against them using National Guards. I, I think they should have... Uh, and just increase numbers in the regular army or regular military and let the National Guards, because, like, if the country was to be attacked by a foreign nation, that's uh, what your National Guards was to be able to uh, fight that off. Until the regular army got got back, uh, and when you depleted your national guard, that's a reserve. That's like saying, "Look, I got a hundred bucks saved. You spent your hundred bucks, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you have a flat tire and you, you, you ain't got no money to fix it." No, say so you got everybody in battle. Next thing you know, you know if they're not there, and you're down in Texas and you have an F. Uh, you have a Category 6 or 5 hurricane come through there and wipe out three or four cities, what are you going to do? Oh, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're robbing Peter to pay Paul. And Peter ain't got the money to pay Paul. And that's what they've done. Yeah. And uh, every state, I don't know, uh, every state, the governor of the state ought to uh, be responsible for keeping their National Guard at the peak. <clears throat> peak levels. Uh, yeah, peak levels. Peak levels, that's true. I mean, it's uh, that's the National Next Line Defense, you know, that. And basically, you know, after that, you go to militia. That's not a good thing. You know, we need our military to be not strong. They need to be strong. They need to stay strong. And they need to have the equipment they need to get, need to get the job done. Russia's activated their new cruisers, the cruisers they had in World War, back in the Cold War. They've got four of them. These cruisers are 900 feet long. They're bigger mm. than World War II battleships. They are loaded missile boats. We activated two battleships back in the Cold War just because of those cruisers, and we retrofit them with uh, missiles. You know, we, uh, I guess it was the Iowa and the New Jersey were both activated just because of those ships. And the ship's nuclear powered, and they can go about 33 or 34 knots. You know, the battleships are fast, too. But, you know, that was a, that ship is dangerous. And oh, yeah. A lot of power. They've activated. <clears throat> they want to bring them all four back. One of them's already back. Now they're going to bring three of them back. I'm sorry. One of them's got a, uh, it's so dilapidated that the reactor probably would never fire again. And they also bring, you know, Russia has brought back several submarines. Uh, that Typhoon-class submarine, like Red October, does exist, folks. And that thing is as large as a World War II aircraft carrier. 
And that thing does have very powerful nuclear missiles on it. You know, we've got them ourselves on our submarines. But, you know, Russia is trying to make a little bit of a comeback here and, and be the power they once were. And uh, back in your mind, it's a little bit scary. So, you know, they're trying to rig out the Cold War. <clears throat> and eventually it's going to get it done. If things go the way they're going right now, in the next 10 years, that will happen. So things are going to have to change to make sure that doesn't happen. You know, we can't have other countries that have lunatics in charge have nuclear weapons. We can't have countries that kidnap Americans just for the heck of it and charge ransom. You know, things like that. We know we need a military, and we need leadership in our military that if they was to do something, they're going to realize, okay, we kidnapped an American, what's going to happen? Are we going to pay them hundreds of millions of dollars, or are we going to put a tomahawk on a guy's front door? Hmm. Ask Gaddafi what happened. He can't. He got bumped off, didn't he? <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> they put a they put a tomahawk missile in his front door. Remember that T bird? They did indeed. Yes, they did, and they done put it right in his front door. But the idiot wasn't there and got everybody else but him. <laughs> you know, yeah. so the world's kind of a it's a it's a, it's a it's a boiling pot of hot lava right now, folks. And our job is to make sure that lava gets cooled off. Yeah, you know, so but, uh, that's why I'm so and worried about the guys. Strong military is is uh, really a good deterrent uh, because we need a strong national guard and we need a strong military. Yes, we do. We very need a big, strong military. <clears throat> Our military needs to stay strong and be strong. Because you can't let some group get a major foothold in this country because it'll be hell to pay for a lot of people. Tibor, what would you have told your chief back in the time he was in the military? You needed a part for an airplane. And she says, okay, get the truck and drive down to Arizona and take it off this other one, this, this old wreck plane. Would you do it? I absolutely would. Yeah. <laughs> because our military has still has the value to get the mission done, regardless of cost. They will go get something they need to get the job done. <clears throat> Folks. These nuclear-powered submarines we have, we don't have a submarine advanced auto parts or an advanced submarine part or subzone to go get parts for. These import maintenance activities and these tenders are floating cities. They have everything needed to make parts for that submarine. The only thing they cannot make for that submarine is the propeller. <clears throat> you know that? They can make any part for that boat except for the propeller. Well, some I know. machine. Yeah. In the Go army, ahead. when we needed something, we just went over to the next company or the company over, and just took it. 
You've been watching too many John Wayne movies. That was not a nice movie either. You had to bang it, bring it back, paint it. You talking about about Clancy on flying leathernecks? (laughs) We would go on deployment with this other squadron a couple times a year. And whenever we went and they were the other squadron, we always posted an extra guard on our stuff. Because <laughs> we bring it, you know, because we figure out what might, you know, go bad and we bring extra parts, you know how it is. And, uh, but yeah, they would, they, they'd have taken your mother if she wasn't nailed down. <laughs> well, T Bird 8 says, but I was the guy that was stealing your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, I was no grungy <laughs> Right. I could make it happen. What do you need? I can make it happen. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But you know, that's a good thing about it though. You know, resourcefulness is the best thing. You know, it's when you get your evaluations, you know, they wrote you a nice little eval. Of course I always had pretty good ones. And uh you know the uh, my my division officer was a uh, first one was a chief warrant, and uh, he looked and uh, I worked hand in hand with him doing a lot of stuff. He wrote me one of the nicest evaluations ever was. Said I was probably the most versatile person he's ever met. He said he's never huh. I've never let him down. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got to Yeah. Oh, folks, real quick, I, let me, I'm going to jump totally off subject, okay? Uh, if you were in service in the 80s and 90s, in the 2000s, early, uh, if you got a claim file with the VA, it is very important that you find all your evaluations. Because especially in the Navy, everything you did in your job was listed on back to that evaluation. And if you've got a point to make, and if you wanted to ask, for example, if you removed asbestos and they're, they, they're saying you didn't, that you never worked in asbestos, if you find that eval, it's going to tell you what you did. It's a very important document, piece of, piece of paperwork. It's hardly ever mentioned on had it. I've mentioned it before, but that evaluation could actually make or break your VA claim. It can help you with that, and it also can clarify dates. And for things that have caused you some problems in the military, Say you were assaulted. Uh, if your evaluation one year was a three point eight, and all of a sudden it dropped, and you just became a worthless person, that all helps build the credibility of your case that this happened on this state at this place. Especially in stressor is, verifications. Right. Stressor verifications. That's just. You know, that helps out a lot in stressor verifications. Um, you're exactly right about dates, T-Bird, because, you know, the further our military service gets apart as we get older, you know, the mind goes. It's hard, you know, it's hard to remember things, you know, and you can't think of it, exact dates and things like that. Now, another thing that actually helps out, too, is your is your, your orders to, like, another another command, because if you've got a written order, if say, for example, if you were assaulted and you're afraid they're going to kill you, mostly, you know, the CO had the authority 
to transfer you on the spot. And anytime you see an order that says uh, the reason for the transfer, seals verbal authority, that means something happened to get you transferred. That's right. Yeah, so always keep your orders. Always keep your evaluations handy. Lock them up somewhere. Make sure they never leave, you know, make sure you don't lose sight of them. You know, if you have to, scan them in the computer, put them on a, put them on a flash drive, take that flash drive to a bank and put it in a safe deposit box. Get it out of your house. Make sure it's fireproof. You know, there's always ways to cover yourself, and you have to. But yes, you do. You have to cover yourself. Especially for PTSD claims because it seems like, you know, and then of course the VA's been, I think, a little better. And we first, when I first, we first in, into this years ago, you know, the stressor was a big thing and proving it and things like that. And then, of course, the regs state that if you're a wartime veteran, you know, and you've got, you know, the war itself could be your stressor. And they, they're not supposed to question you, but I don't think I've ever seen anybody get their claim through on that presumptive VT bird. They always question your stressor, no matter regardless. Well, they have to they have to find out what the stressor is because you can't PTSD is different in that way. You don't get PTSD unless you have a stressor. So you can't say I have PTSD but I don't have anything in particular that happened to me because that's not the way post traumatic stress works. So you could say I have arthritis and it started in the service. I don't know when. But PTSD, there's something. It's a gray area. Threatening that happens. It has to be an event, yeah. It has to be an event that causes be traumatic. Yeah. yeah. Right. That is a, you know, uh, beyond, uh, you know, the realm of normal human experience that's life threatening and perceived or real or or personal integrity rape or sodomy anything thought anything right anything you know Uh, and uh, so so with post-traumatic stress you know there has to be a stressor and Uh And it gets difficult because uh, if the man or woman never reported the incident, then it's difficult because they have to know what caused it. And you can say that, but you need something else to help your case. And that something else can be trips to medical for either, uh, you know, physical injuries that happened during the assault, but yeah. also uh, sudden, you know, like you develop irritable bowel syndrome. You you have, uh, you know, you get tests for STDs. You, you know, you know, other things, you know, your evals go down. You told your friend or you went to see the chaplain or... Uh, there's, you know, a ton of different things that can happen that you can yeah. use to pull together. Let me I tell you tell a story. Now, oh, let me just say this one thing. I tell people now that when they're going into the service and, God forbid, anything traumatic ever happens to them, 
but if it does and they really feel that they just cannot tell anyone, then they should write themselves a letter and send it home and have someone put those away for them. Because then it's postmarked and written and sealed and... That's true. Make sure you keep all the information. Wouldn't uh, telling your chaplain work too? Yes, but some people won't tell anyone ever. Won't even yep. tell themselves. That's true. They won't. People are too ashamed of it. It's embarrassing to them, and it's uh, it's already starting to affect them by doing that. Right. It's embarrassing. Uh, it's uh, sometimes it's just dangerous All right. because that person is often very close to you mm-hmm. and has access to you 724 and has right. impressed upon you not to tell anyone. Right. I knew a young man, and uh, he's kind of, he's not related to me, but he was in on my is part of my grandfather's family. Um, <clears throat> back in the mid mid seventies, mid to late seventies, he went in the Coast Guard, and he's a good looking young man, very intelligent. And something happened to him in the Coast Guard, and he got discharged. He went into a shell, and he was really traumatized with something, and. He got to the point where he wouldn't even talk to people. Uh, his wife, he wouldn't talk to his wife. He had kids. And something very bad happened. And uh, his wife left him. The only person that cared was his mother. So they started going to the VA and uh, started getting treatment and stuff like that. And they tried to get him to you know, talk, and he wouldn't talk. So finally they put him under hypnosis. And they filed claims and everything with the VA and got denied. So they put him under hypnosis. And... He actually talked, and when he got through talking, he got a hundred percent liquidy split because he had yeah. a very severe case of PTSD. He can't drive a vehicle. He walks to the mailbox every once in a while, you know, and you can carry a conversation with him for a few minutes. But if he wanders off, you know, in the no- Neverland. Mm-hmm. But he was assaulted big time in the Coast Guard several times by a group of men. He named them. They went back and got them all too. Good. And uh, but you know that ruined his entire life. Yeah. But at least the VA stepped up, you know, and took care of him. So. I. Uh, uh, right. I met a, a a Vietnam vet who uh, was assaulted that way and all these years later it is still such a profound loss for him it is you lose everything you lose your sense of respect right you lose it all you know and uh, hopefully those guys got put put away you know and it's a you send, you know, and some, if people do things like that. They assault in any way, you know. There's no reason for that in our service. Everybody needs to get along, you know. And if it's, you know, if you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, don't be doing it. 
you know. Right. Keep your drugs at home. Don't bring them on board a ship, you know. Not my Navy. Do whatever it takes. Right, right. You not know, in my I'm, Navy. Whatever the military Navy had a drug problem back in the 80s, i tell you that right now. Big time. It was Big worse time in the early 80s than it was later on. At least where yeah, I about was. 82 and 83, it really got bad. Really got bad. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't you know. have that. Uh, uh, not where I was at in the service. We didn't have any drug problem that I was People aware of. Free base and coke in uh, the barracks where I was. Well, no kidding. <laughs> it was bad. First thing but we had was like, cigarettes and maybe some whiskey, and that about it. Well, no, no they had that too. They just kept adding more stuff to it. Now, the pilot said one time, if I wanted to go up on one of the planes, I said, "Are you kidding? I party with the dudes who work on this." <laughs> well, you party with the dudes who work on it. Okay, did you go? <laughs> no. But I do want to tell you, folks. There have been some combat veterans inside of Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia, and other places that smoked so much marijuana that they could look down at the Hueys. They were so high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that I've heard. <laughs> well, you know, and... God, that was just such a horrible place to be. Then you have all this freely available, and if there's ever a place that you need to escape from, it's hell. Well, that's true. You know, again, I just don't know. I couldn't walk a mile in their shoes and tell you, you know. That's true because I mean, you couldn't walk a mile there anyways. That Charlie shooting at you, he's hiding in the trees. Right. And, and our government got smart and said, okay, let's take the defoliate. Let's get rid of the leaves on the trees. We can see Charlie then. Not realizing they I get rid of millions of people doing that. I have a really soft place in my heart for Vietnam vets. You know, when I first went into the VA yeah. in 1991, it was uh, several Vietnam vets that kind of guided me about my claim and Stuff that I met um, at the PT where I was going for PTSD treatment. Yeah, and I, I've had several good, good guys from that well, area. I met a lot of them. I met a lot of T Bird. I met a lot that are so distraught that they won't even follow a claim. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I meet the distraught ones and the ones that are too proud. I ain't never telling the VA I'm stuck and I don't need them. I don't need nobody. Yeah, you do, dude. <laughs> nah. Listen, guys, we're about we're about out of time. T Bird, I want to thank you for coming on. You made this. You, you you've turned this show into a real good one. I do appreciate it. Sure thing, and, uh, Jen. I was glad I was able to stop by for the bachelor hour. That's good, mm-hmm. and Gerald. Thank you for if you're still awake. Thank you for joining. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Well, well I'm proud to be here. The Google Hangouts. Yeah. Okay, we'll do. I'll call you tomorrow next day, T Bird. We'll talk about it. Sounds good. All right. Well, listen, guys. Uh, folks, thanks for listening to the show. Uh, catch us again next week. I'm sure, and we'll have the regular Hattie show. We'll have a guest speaker, and Jerry uh, will drive the truck. And uh, with that, uh, this will be Jay Basher. We'll be signing off for now. to the Basser Hour. The Basser Hour is brought to you. You have been listening to the Basser Hour. The Basser Hour is brought to you by Hattit.com. Stay tuned next week for another edition of the Basser Hour and the Hattit.com Blog Talk Radio Show. Thanks for listening.